0: Hello, my name is Arlos Wittermann. I'm a partner with Michalski Wittermann in Düsseldorf, and you're listening to IP Fridays.
1: Hello, and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more.
2: Welcome to episode 128 of IP Fridays. Today's interview guest is Alois Hüttermann, who is partner and patent attorney with Michalski Hüttermann and partner in Düsseldorf. And we are talking about the UPC, the Unified Patent Court, and the Unitary Patent System and everything you need to know and what is coming in fall this year or early next year. Before we jump into this uh, very interesting interview with Alois, I have some news for you. Um, The EUIPO has reached 2.5 million trademark applications. This comes shortly after a record 2021 with almost 200,000 trademark applications received by the EUIPO last year. But maybe more importantly, the recent developments in Ukraine and Russia Um, are leading to some concerns among IP practitioners. Russia has issued a decree saying that damages of IP rights, uh, so in lawsuits based on IP rights, cannot be recovered if the plaintiff is coming from a Western country. And there is a long list of Western countries that are um, part of this decree. So, IP rights can no longer be easily enforced in Russia. That is at least my take. Also, it seems that the ROSPAT, so the Russian Patent Office, is no longer accepting payments from these Western countries that are on the list. So, some IP owners need to find other ways to pay the fees for maintaining the IP rights in Russia. Also, it might be important to know that a lot of leading IP law firms have closed their offices in Russia. So now let's jump into the interview with Alois Hüttermann. Today's interview guest is Alois Hüttermann. If you don't know who Alois is, he is partner with Michalski Hüttermann, a partner in Düsseldorf, a leading patent law firm in Germany. And he is also author of a book about the new unified patent system and also writing a new commentary about this uh, Unified Patent Court and the uh, the Unitary Patent System. Thank you for being on the show, Alois. Thank you. It's an honor for
0: being invited.
2: So do you want to extend my brief introduction a little bit by talking about first a little bit about yourself, um, where you come from, what you do?
0: Yes, of course. So um, my name is Alois Wittermann. I'm Chemist background. I have a PhD in organic chemistry. And after um, finishing that, um, I decided to become a patent attorney. And then I did the training for the German patentanwalt. So I'm a classic German patentanwalt. And shortly after I finished that, I co founded Michaels Gutermann Partner um, in 2006. And I'm with that firm ever since. And I hope that I will be there until I retire, which is hopefully not going to be, I'd say too soon, but um, in a couple of years, maybe even a couple of decades to come.
2: All right. So today we are meeting because the Unitary Patent System or the Unified Patent Court is starting soon. Later this year or early next year, patent litigation, how it is today, will therefore fundamentally change with the start of the Unified Patent Court and the Unitary Patent. Um, Can you briefly outline what the Unified Patent System is?
0: Well, briefly, it's not so easy because the system is very complex, but I can try. Um, So the unified patent system is a new system of obtaining patents and also litigating it. And it consists of two parts, as you already mentioned, it's the unitary patent um, and the unified patent court. And the unitary patent is based on two EU regulations, which were already passed in 2012. Uh, the Unified Patent Court is based on an international treaty, the agreement on the Unified Patent Court, which um, soon will be eventually um, see the light of the day um, once Germany has deposited its ratification with the EU. Um, Since the Unified Patent Court is based on an international treaty, um, this was one reason why it took so long, because international treaties, um, well, first, they need need to be agreed on, but then they need to be ratified by a, a certain number of countries that depends on how it is laid down in the um, agreement. And then these countries do not only need to ratify, they also need to deposit their ratification somewhere. And the ratification process in Germany was uh, first halted um, by a constitutional complaint, which was then allowed at least partially by our constitutional court. So we had to do another round of ratification. Well, then there were again complaints, but these were then dismissed. So now Germany has done their job. They have uh, ratified everything, but they still need to deposit this ratification with the EU because in the UPC agreement, it is laid down that the EU um, is, the office where you need to deposit your ratifications. Um, The reason why Germany has not done this yet is not political. So politically, this is all done, it's technical. Um, And it's very easy. Um, In the agreement itself, there are no um, transitional periods or something. So from day one, the UPC the Unified Patent Court, which is abbreviated as UPC, I would do so also within this call, um, must be working. And I mean, if you um, file a suit somewhere, it's good that there is a judge who reads it, or maybe even more than one judge or a couple of judges. So um, these have to be hired. But um, in order to do that, actually, uh, a second agreement was needed. This is called the Protocol on the Unified Patent Court on Provisional Application. I will not say that again. It's called the Protocol. Everybody calls it the Protocol. And this Protocol had to be ratified too. But this has already happened um, in January this year. So now the UPC is officially founded. um, And it can now hire judges. So, um, the interviews are um, going to be um, conducted in the next month. Um, And then, depending on how well that goes, um, the UPC will uh, inform Germany that they are close to start, and then Germany will lay down the ratification and then the whole thing will come, finally.
2: Okay, so the timeline is not clear yet, but it's pretty clear that um, later this year or earlier next year, this system will start. So what will be the most important changes for patent owners?
0: Oh, well, there are many um, I mean, well, focus
2: on the most important ones. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I
0: know. <laughs> so, um, well, concerning on the uh, patenting side, it is that patent owners will have a new option, um, and I should say that the way of obtaining patents is not changed. So, you have the European Patent Office and you have the national patent office, and they remain as they are. But if you have a granted European patent, then instead of validating it one by one, um, country by country, then in the future, you can choose a unitary patent. And this means, abbreviated, that you validate um, 17 countries in one row. Why 17? Because um, when the UPC system comes, 17 countries will have ratified the UPC agreement. And that also means that they are covered by the unitary patent. So if in the future, more countries ratify the UPC agreement, then of course, unitary patents, future unitary patents, that's important, um, will also extend to these countries. Um, This is the easy one because you can choose to do things as you are doing now. You don't have to choose the unitary patent. You can um, stick with the current validation system. The more complex and more important one is the litigation side. Um, From day one of the UPC, at least in principle, it is so that the UPC is competent for all European patents, future ones, but also existing ones. So if you have a European patent, um, for instance, covering Germany, it is so that right now, if you see an infringement and you want to stop the infringer, you have to go to, I don't know, Landgericht Düsseldorf or Landgericht Mannheim. And in the future, you must go to um, local chamber, Düsseldorf or local chamber, Mannheim. Um, the important thing is that you don't have to do that. You can decide that you want to stick with the system as it is now. But if you want that, then you have to do something. And this is called the opt out. It technically, it is a request according to article 83.3 UPCA. And what does that mean? Uh, it means that you um, file a request with the UPC that for a certain patent, you don't want the UPC to be competent. You want the national courts to be competent. And once you have done this, then you can, still go to the national courts and not unimportant um a third party who wants to uh, attack your patent must do that as it is now country by country in nullity suits. of course if there is still an no opposition um deadline pending then you can find opposition but um once that is over and you have an opt-out filed, you have to go country by country. So,
2: um, what would be a reason for patentees to opt out certain patents out of the new system? Would that be mainly a trust issue, or would that be? Are there also other reasons why um, patentees should or would opt out of the new system?
0: The, in my opinion. Um, It's basically a trust issue. But if you trust the UPC, still um, a reason to opt out could be that you think the UPC is too expensive. The thing is that at the UPC, like in Germany, you have a loser pay system, but we don't know how much uh, the costs that you will have to pay will be um this is still ongoing um there is like a ceiling of costs depending on the value of dispute but this ceiling is much much higher that than for a comparable case in germany so we don't know how this works out because this ceiling is not automatic so the upc can decide that the costs that you will get reimbursed if you win are going to be much lower. So we don't know yet. So this could be one factor if you otherwise fully trust the UPC to opt out. But the main reason would be trust. Um, And another reason would be that um, you want to make life difficult for infringers. At the moment, um, if you cannot find a position, you have to file nullity country by country. Whereas with UPC, there is one central attack against a patent. So if you want to um, increase the hurdle for uh, potential infringers or for competitors, um, then you could opt out. I should say something about the opt out. So an opt out is possible only if there's no action before the UPC. So if you file an infringement suit and then you find out, no, it's not working so well, well, then you cannot opt out anymore. Um, But that's something you can decide. But also if a third party files a nullity action against your patent, then an opt out is not possible either. So um, this has caused much concern, especially, I don't know, like seven, eight years ago, um, when the whole system was um, still a little bit under construction. um, Because many observers then feared that for certain patents, there would be like a race to the courthouse. So the patent owner would be. Um, trying to have its patent opted out, whereas competitors would only wait for the UPC to start to bunk, um, put the nullity action on the table of the UPC, and then we have to see who comes first. Um, In order to prevent that, it will be possible during the protocol phase um, to opt out a patent. You cannot do that now at the moment. Um, It will be possible at a later point in time. We don't know yet. There are rumors that it will be possible once Germany has deposited its ratification. But that's, to be honest, pretty unclear.
2: But it is quite certain that it will be before the start of the UPC so that the patent owners will have a chance to opt out the patents before anyone would have a chance to file a nullity suit, right?
0: Yes, exactly. So we will have a time period of, I don't know, three months, probably maybe four months where you can already opt out. And then if this opt out has been registered, um, um, it will then be automatically valid once the UPC comes. So, The thing is that um, if you see that the UPC is actually doing not too bad, you can revert your opt out once. You can opt in. And this would be another reason for patent owners. They say, "Mm, OK, we we still wait a little and see how things go. And if they go well, then yeah, then we can opt in. the thing is that, of course, if everybody opts out, then there are no cases. Um, so this is a strategy that depends on that there are others who think otherwise. Um, I should stress that the opt out um, is possible for the first seven years. Well, the first six years, 11 months. You have to file it one month before the seven-year period ends for any patent um, where there has not been an action yet. So you still have some time. But on the other hand, uh, this opt-out period has an end. So in the not too distant future, it will be so that there are no opt-outs possible anymore. It is, it is possible that this opt-out seven year period is extended once for another seven years, but I would think that this is pretty, yeah, unrealistic that it will come because either by then the UPC is accepted as the venue of choice or is it is not and then, um, People will rather discuss about how to get rid of the UPC than um, extending this UPC. Uh, Sorry, of extending this opt-out deadline for another seven years. So the basic question is: Do you trust the UPC? Um, and if you say yes, um, then you don't need an opt out. Um, You can also ask yourself, do I need security? And if you need security, yes, then you should opt out or even actually consider it. Um, Another question will, of course, be um, how high is the chance that you get a nullity action against your patents like out of the blue? So how high is the chance that you come into your office one early morning and then you find out, boom, against the patent of mine, somebody has filed multi-action, although we have not discussed about this patent with this competitor or with this um, um, party. So uh, if the chance is reasonably high, then you could um, think that you need a safeguard. And then, your willingness to opt out may may be increased. If you are in an area um, where those nullity actions out of the blue are hardly ever seen, then you can maybe um, first wait and see what happens. And only if you see an infringer, then you can decide, okay, do you want to sue this infringer at the UPC or do I rather want to go national again?
2: I mean, one of the advantages of the UPC is that you get um, pan-EU or um, a ruling, a decision covering many countries of the EU. And one other uh, advantage of the UPC system is that um, it is very likely that the most experienced patent judges from the important, let's say, important patent litigation countries in Europe... um, such as Germany or France or Netherlands or Great Britain. Um, uh, not Great Britain anymore, of course. They left the EU. Wow. But um, the, the judges from these countries, they might uh, they are very likely to join uh, the new UPC system, right?
0: Yes. Well, I mean, of course, at the moment, interviews are being conducted. Um so. And of course, everything is secret. So um, officially it's not clear who has applied with the UPC, but inofficially, it's clear that every German patent judge, well, except for those who are either close to retirement or don't like to, to work in English, because that's could be the case. Um, that except for, I don't know, a handful of judges, um, all of them have applied with the UPC. Um, So uh, maybe not all of them will be hired, but quite a few. So it could be that in the future, um, before this sort of Landgericht, there are judges you've never heard of before. And if we have bad luck, then they have never heard of patent law before. Um, whereas all the big names, all the experienced judges, I, I don't want to say any names, you all know them, they, they are with the UPC. And um, that could happen.
2: So that would be a good reason not to opt out your patents because it could be the case that inexperienced judges in the national courts would decide on your patent infringement then.
0: <laughs> yeah, well one has to say that there are plans that, um, except for a few, um, all of the judges will work part-time. The reason for this is that um, the the UPC wants to have, let's say, a, a solid number of judges who are potentially available for working on cases. But on the other hand, they don't want to pay them all. So, and it is possible to be a part-time judge. Um, So um, most of the judges may be part-time judges, at least in the early years. So it could be that still some of the household names are both at the Landgericht Düsseldorf or Mannheim or Munich or Hamburg, because that's the four locations um, where the UPC will operate in, in Germany and half a part of the time at the local chambers. Um, but it could be that if the UPC runs well, that I don't know in one or two or three years, then all of these judges will work at the UPC full time. Right. So it's it's I get asked that a lot. Should I? opt out or not, and my, my answer is um, that's not easy to decide. Um, there are many in-house counsel who have said um, publicly, but also in, in when you speak to them in private, that they will um, want to opt out, but also be part of the UPC, because another reason why you should be involved in UPC is that um, the tracks are laid early. And um, the example, the classic example is the European Patent Office. If you look at the decisions of the European Patent Office, um, the landmark ones, and or the the, the way of ruling, like the problem solution approach, the, um, the two lists principle, the, this, this uh, I've called it Hilbertian um, approach um, on novelty and amendments and priority. So, um, which led, have led to this very strict ruling on how you can amend your patent. All of that um, is out of the first two, three years um, when at the EPO appeals were decided. So, um, if you are not there to at least argue before the UPC, of course, you're not the judge if you're a patent owner, but it's at least you can bring forward argument. But if you don't do that, others will. And then you, in the end, you have to live with the results. Because in the end, in 10 years or so, you have to um, sue at the UPC. The only way to avoid the UPC would then be to file national patents. So. In our council, have told me, look, we will like opt out our crown jewels, our very important patents, and with the less important ones, well, we might uh, try enforcing them at the UPC if there is an infringement. But this, of course, means that you have to take a look at your portfolio and decide which patents are important, which of them are crown jewels and which of them are not. So um, it's a decision that uh, needs to be uh, made, let's say, very carefully and diligently. So you have to have develop a strategy, what you want. And once you've done that, you can then decide whether you want to opt out or not.
2: OK. Um, I assume that the same arguments, opting out or not, are true for validating a patent with the new system or um, according to the old system, right?
0: Yes. I mean, the thing is that the unitary patent has one disadvantage is you cannot opt out. So if you are um, choosing a unitary patent, um, you are stuck with UPC. So if you don't trust the UPC, then you should not file a unitary patent. But if you at least say not distrust the UPC, and you could imagine that in a few way years down the road, um, UPC will do good, then um, you could think about validating your European patent as a unitary patent. But then of course the main factor is costs, so the defenders of the UTA patent say, "Look, you get 17 countries covered, but the annuities are um, only four, and the validation is easy. Um, it you can do it at the EPO. You don't have to." Um, go um, with national attorneys. You don't need national representatives. Um, You have a translation that you may file, Uh, but that's it. And the validation is cost free. So it's pretty efficient. On the other hand, uh, most patents, as we know from statistics, are being validated in Germany, France, and the UK only. And the UK is out. So. the, the delta that you have to uh, consider is how much are uh, the costs of the unitary patent against Germany and France combined? And is this delta and costs, um, is that worth the extra coverage? And that's something you have to yeah, consider. And if I'm asked if there's a rule of thumb, then I usually say, Um, consider whether you need Italy. In Italy, you have to file a translation into Italian, you need a national representative. So you have um, costs, initial costs um, that you can avoid if you have a unitary patent. And um, if you need Italy, then a unitary patent might be a good choice. If you don't need Italy, then you could um, consider, that you stay with the current validation machine. Okay.
2: So um, one other aspect is that the Unified Patent Court will, in practice, eventually replace the national courts with respect to patent litigation, or this is expected, and the revocation actions. When will this happen? Why does this happen? And what should the patent owners know about that?
0: For everything that DPO grants, once the opt-out deadline is over, you are stuck with UPC. Only for patents that you have opted out before, um, those still stay with the national courts. If you then want the national courts to be involved and also a nudity country by country, then you have to um, file nationally, which means that you have to go to the German patent office, for German patent, the French patent office for French patent, here already, the difficulty is that French has closed the national route. So if you want a French national patent, um, you cannot do this out of a PCT application. So I don't know if they will open that again, but um, at, at least at the moment, um, Paris uh, Convention is your only choice if you want to um, claim a priority and get protection in France. So this is what you can do that. Um, For a few years to come, we still have like a hybrid system where you can have your patent granted at the EPO. And if you have opted it out, you can um, still litigate it nationally. But in the long run, um, the UPC will be your venue if the EPO grants you something.
2: What about the national validation if you don't validate as a unitary patent but as national patents?
0: that will not save you so um, the if if you have um, a a national validated European patent you still have to go to, for the UPC of course you can enforce it only in the countries where you validated it but um, um, for litigation, you have to go with UPC. And also, um, if you're a competitor and this patent is not opted out, if you want to um, destroy it, you have to file nullity action on the UPC, which could be a disadvantage for you should the UPC um, come out to be more patentee-friendly than some national courts, which could with some probability be the case.
2: Okay, so that's also a very interesting point to know for patent owners. Um, We have talked a long time now about the new UPC system. Um, What are your most important, your three most important takeaways for our listeners that they should remember from this interview?
0: Well, the first is that big changes are coming. Um, you should um, yeah, try to make yourself a picture about the unitary patent and more important about the UPC. Um, the second one is um, you should um, make decisions about whether you want to opt out your existing patents. And you should do that pretty soon because it could be that you come to the conclusion that you want this preemptive opt-out and this will be then available in a few months from now. The third decision that has to be taken is, do I want unitary patents? And if you want unitary patents, then um, the EPO will help you um, the EPO has recently um, published that once Germany has deposited its ratification, then for all pending application, where you have a positive, let's say, feedback, a, a 71.3 of the um, um, communication, which is technically not an allowance, but it is an intention to grant. Um, uh, but you have not confirmed that. Um, by um, paying the fees and, and funding the translations. Then once you um, answer this communication, you can also request that the publication of grant is uh, delayed until the UPC is in force, because only for European patents, where the uh, publication of grant is after the coming into force of the UPC, you can get unitary patents. So the EPO offers that as a service. And what you also can do is already register. So um, then you can already register um, preemptively as a unitary patent, which has the advantage that if you make a mistake there, then the EPO will um, contact you. And and then you will have the um, ability to, to correct that but this is all then done whilst UPC is not yet enforced. Then you can be sure that you have a unitary patent once the system really comes. So these are the three takeaways. One, make yourself a picture of the UPC. B, decide whether you want an opt-out or not. C, decide whether you want an unitary patent or not.
2: Okay. Thank you very much for these three takeaways and for all the time that you have spent here, we, could, uh, we were only able to barely scratch the surface of this very complicated and complex system, the new UPC system. If uh, our listeners want to know more about you or the UPC system, where can they reach you best?
0: Well, um, they can um, reach me um, via email, of course. We have some information about the unitary patent system on our website. Um, You you can also take a look there. Um, Well, at the moment, you cannot read any publications from me because my book is already sold out. And the second edition of that book and the commentary is still in preparation. So um, I think the best way would be that you look on our website, mhpatent.de. and see what you can find there.
2: Thank you very much for being on the show and spending time with me explaining what the UPC system is. Thank you so much, Alois.
0: Thank you for having me. And I'm um, really looking forward for the UPC to come.
1: That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com slash feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com slash iTunes, and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast, or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms none of the content should be considered legal advice the ip friday's podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances the contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.